somebody, Dr. B, turned my microphone off. I was kind of reminded, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I was kind of reminded this morning of a time in junior high. When I was in junior high, I made the basketball team, amazingly enough. And I had a special seat. It was all the way down the end of the bench, as far away from the coach as possible. I was the last guy, and I was riding that bench every game. But I did have a good view of the game. Uh, it was right there before me. And I remember one time, the guy next to me, who was also riding the bench in his assigned seat, he nudged me and he said, yo, the coach wants you. And I said, what for? And he said, I think he wants to put you in. <laughs> and so began my one minute and 52 seconds of my glorious basketball career. I went in the game. I came off the bench. And I felt like this morning, I am coming off the bench. I don't know why Dr. Bunning isn't preaching today, but I am very proud and privileged to come off the bench and be able to share with you today. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. And follow along as I read, starting at verse 14. Luke chapter 4 and verse 14. And let's give attention to the reading of God's holy word. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surroundings. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Jesus, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote, uh, quote to me the proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months. And a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. 
And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they had heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill upon which their town was built so they could throw him down and off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. It is such a privilege to be here in this pulpit today. Because I truly believe that when the word of God is preached, a holy transaction is taking place. I'm just a messenger today. But God uses the word of God and the word of God preached to come and minister to our hearts. It's that holy transaction that I hope that you have come to church for this morning. I once preached in a church in Millersville and interestingly enough I just found out recently that that's the church that Pastor Sam came from and I got the opportunity to preach there and as I stood behind the pulpit on the pulpit where only the preacher could see was a quote a quote from John 12 21 sir we would like to see Jesus and that's my prayer this morning just that that we would see Jesus today and believe let's just pray right now father God I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight for we pray in Jesus name amen now you notice the sermon title if you've looked in your bulletin is what amazes Jesus well, what amazes you these days it's amazing to me how people sometimes do terrible or completely stupid things and then post them on social media for all to see it's amazing to me that we have to have signs that say no smoking at the gas pump that we have to have signs that say don't stick your hand under the lawnmower that our cups of hot coffee from McDonald's say caution your hot coffee might be hot and it could burn you a few amazing facts did you know that field hockey is played in hundred and fifty six different countries that over a hundred million copies of the Bible are sold every year and that the Bible has been translated into Klingon a ping-pong ball off the paddle can reach the speed of a hundred miles per hour during his entire life Vincent van Gogh sold one painting at the equator the earth is spinning 1038 miles per hour there's a lot of amazing facts out there I just named a few and today we're going to look at a time when Jesus was amazed 
There's only two times in the Bible that it says that Jesus marveled or Jesus was amazed. One of them was for great faith. And one of them was for lack of faith. This passage is the perfect story for Luke to begin his account of Christ's ministry. It's right after the temptation. If you look in your Bible just a few verses ahead of our passage is the... Uh, or behind is the temptation and Christ is beginning his earthly ministry and today's passage is his mission statement for that ministry I have taught this passage of scripture I don't know how many times in Sunday school classes I don't know how many times in small groups and now today a sermon and I'll have to admit, this is not the first time I preached this sermon. So now it's two times in a sermon. And this passage came up earlier in the year when a group of us uh, in a small group were going through a book called A Praying Life by Paul Miller. I will not mind the depths of this passage today. There's too much in it. I'm just going to talk about one facet of this passage. I encourage you to go back and see all the other gems that are in it. Our passage today is at the start of Christ's Galilean ministry and the start of his ministry. It's Christ's first recorded sermon in Luke. And Luke records one sentence of it. And we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, Pastor Sam is away with his family. He went home. He went home to see family. Going home is always kind of great, I think. Uh, I don't know Pastor Sam's family, so I'm assuming he's going to go home and have a great time, see maybe old friends, remember old places he'd been to and where he grew up. Today's passage is when Jesus Christ went home. If you remember, he grew up in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. And in this passage today, Christ reveals, he recounts, he outlines the mission of the Messiah. But even more importantly for us today, Christ called the people of Nazareth and is calling his people today to believe who he was and who he is. Let's look at the first part of this text where Christ preaches the gospel in uh, verses 16. Start at verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on a Sabbath day. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were, found in, were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? So the first part of this is where Christ is preaching the gospel, the good news that the Messiah has come. And it brings us to our first point. Jesus calls us to believe. Believe. Jesus calls us to believe. Now this is sort of an aside, a bonus material to our sermon, but Christ's custom was to minister first through the synagogue. Now think about it. Why would Jesus have to go to church? Why? Because he wanted to. He wanted to be in the assembly. He wanted to be with the people of God. Our very first lesson this week, this past week in Vacation Bible School, was when Jesus was 12 years old and he uh, separated from his parents because they started head home and he didn't. And they finally found him after days of looking for him. And where did they find him? In the temple. And he said, I don't know why you can't understand that I have to be about my father's business. But is there a faith step here for you? Now, I'm sort of preaching to the choir today because you all came to church, even in the heat. But what about next Sunday? Is there a desire to be with the people of God and meet God himself, to worship Christ each and every Sunday? The fact that the sinless Son of God had a custom to go to the synagogue, the assembly, where God's people were gathered every Sabbath day. That should impact us. Now that was a bonus to the sermon, an extra point. On this particular day, he was asked to read the text. Now any male could read the text. And then the second reading was followed by a lesson or uh, thoughts or a homily. They, the custom was to stand to read and then to sit down on a platform to teach. And so Christ read and then he sat down. And Luke provides the drama of the moment. Christ is there and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, were fixed on him, trying to hear and see what it was that their hometown boy, who was now all grown up, was going to say. Picture that scene. scene. Christ, God incarnate, is about to preach a sermon. Now, you all have been paying pretty close attention to me. I'm not Christ, but your eyes are fixed upon me. In verses 14 and 15, we read that Jesus had been going all throughout Galilee, and the preaching and teaching and healing, and the news about him had preceded his return to his hometown. The word himself was about to preach the word, had just read the word, and it was about himself. And he read from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And as preachers are wont to say, 
that text can preach. That means that it's worthy of a sermon. There's a lot of meat there. And that text from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 is not going to be our main focus today, but there is a lot of lot of there. So Jesus sits down and preaches his sermon. And Luke jotted the whole thing down, what or what he gave us. And this is the sermon he preached today. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You know, often great sermons are preached again by other people. But no one else has ever preached this sermon that Jesus did. And picture the response. The crowd seemingly went wild. Their hometown hero had given a fantastic sermon. It was full of grace. It was full of power and of truth. And that was the initial response. But we'll look more at the broader response in a minute. But what was the sermon? What did it mean? Simply put, Jesus' message was a call to belief. Believe what Christ was declaring. Christ was declaring himself to be the Messiah, the direct and the exact fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy from so long ago. And it had three main points. Now, we all, you know, have sermons with three points. I, I doubt Jesus preached in three points. But I made three points out of his sermon. There was a present fulfillment to it. Today, what the prophet had foretold so long ago, today was coming to pass. And it had a personal fulfillment. The anointed one, the promised one, was actually Christ himself. He was declaring, I am the Messiah. He started this right at the beginning of his ministry by declaring who he was. It wasn't a hidden agenda. And we see him at the very end of his ministry, and they're still asking him, are you the Messiah? Is that what you're saying you are? And it had a gracious fulfillment. A present fulfillment, a personal fulfillment, and a gracious fulfillment. What Christ was saying was the era of God's salvation had arrived. It was here. The kingdom was at hand. The fullness of time had come. It's go time. The wheels of redemption, the plan of redemption, were being put into place, and they were starting to gain speed. Christ was declaring that the gospel and all of its blessings are now inaugurated. It is the time. The good news himself was preaching the good news. A true message of good news, of freedom, of vision, of release, of vision, of finding favor. Favor with God. And that's still good news today, is it not? You see, Christ wasn't just talking about how good things were going to be, sort of like you would explain Christmas Day to a three-year-old. Christ was calling them to believe. Christ was calling them to believe he was doing and 
what he was doing. And he's doing the same thing today. You need to hear Christ's call to believe today. You need to recognize Jesus. Recognize him, first of all, as God. And therefore, in control. Sovereign. God is sovereign. Not only is he God, he's Messiah. We recognize Jesus as Messiah. Your Savior. And he's able to save you. Now, I'm not just talking about for eternity. I'm talking about his ability to save you today. What is it that you need to be saved from today? What's the problem? What's the issue? What's the circumstance? Christ as Messiah is your Savior. And he has authority over you. He is almighty. And he rightly has authority over you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price if you're a Christian here today. And not only that, we need to recognize Jesus as present with you. God became man. God incarnate. And when Christ ascended, his spirit remains. None of us is alone, ever. God is with us. God is greater than you. Just at the very name, just the very name of Jesus is powerful. It can give you like goosebumps in a sermon. Just think about that name. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians that one day, one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is greater than us. And finally, we need to recognize Jesus as caring. He cares for us. Now, you probably can and will say to me, yeah, I already believe all of that. That's true. And I say, wonderful. You grasped it. But my question is, do you? And that's Christ's question today. Do you? Is God in control? Do you look to him and him alone to solve you, to save you today, to solve your problems? Is Christ and his word the final authority in your life? Can you experience and do you experience the presence of the living God each and every day? Is Christ really and genuinely almighty in your life? greater than you, and what I mean by that is greater than your needs and your issues? Is God greater than that? And does Jesus really care for you, or are you living like an orphan? Orphan living is unbelief. Jesus has not left us alone. Now, I'm not calling into question your salvation. What I'm calling into question is whether you are acting and thinking like the believer that you are. Are you, are you recognizing Jesus for all these things? The whole point of Isaiah's prophecy, fulfilled in Christ, was to proclaim the good news to us. 
Jesus saves. Christ is God. Christ is yours. Christ is mine. And Christ is for you. It's interesting. I picked this passage to preach on a long time ago when uh, Pastor Sam asked me to preach. And I had been going over it, and I hadn't really looked at what I would be teaching on in vacation Bible school this, week, this past week until maybe the week before. These were all the themes of our vacation Bible school. It all came together. We talked about Jesus knowing why he came. He was on a mission, a redemptive mission. Jesus obeyed his Father as the Son of God. Jesus proved he was the Son of God. There is an empty tomb, and that means we can have hope because Jesus is alive. And finally, the Bible was given to us so that we can believe all these truths. That's the five nights of VBS. And the kids, uh, I, so basically all last week I was preaching this sermon. And now I get to preach it to you. The kids heard it all last week. Jesus, who is Lord and who is our Savior, can be personal to you. He wants to be personal to you. He just doesn't want you to believe that he is and who he is. He wants to be your personal God. He wants to be intimate with you. You're not alone. And Jesus cares for you. 1 Peter 5 says we can cast all our anxiety upon him because why? He cares for you. Let me ask you another question. Do you have an abiding consciousness of the presence of the living Christ each and every day in your life. You know you can. You can through belief. But you need to stop believing the lies of Satan. Satan offers them every day. No one is in control. If we only got our word from the news, we would think the world is spinning off its axis. Everything seems out of control. And yet one truth remains. That God is in control. It's a lie that no, no one is in control. It's a lie that God, Christ, can't save you. There is hope. There, it's a lie that there is no hope. It's a lie that there is no authority. It's a lie that there are no absolutes in our world. It's a lie that Jesus is far off. It's a lie that... Jesus is of no help to you. He might help other people, but he won't help you. That's a lie. And it's certainly a lie that Jesus just doesn't care. They're all lies. And a lot of those lies we hear each and every day. Jesus addressed the crowd and he said, Today I am declaring that the blessings of God and of his kingdom are upon you. They're yours. And you know what? That message hasn't changed. That mission hasn't changed. The blessings of God are upon you today. If you will abandon sinful self-righteousness, if you'll abandon your desire to be your own God, it is so easy for us to try to be our own God. 
It's yours if you'll abandon your unbelief and recognize and believe that Jesus is Lord. You know, that statement is not dependent upon you whatsoever. You know, you often hear about a certain day uh, in a person's life when I made Jesus my Lord and Savior. Jesus is Lord. He's sovereign over you whether you believe it or not. He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Jesus is Lord, and that's not dependent upon you. And we need to believe and recognize that Jesus is God. That's what we were teaching all last week to our kids, that Jesus is the Son of God. He proved he was the Son of God, and he rose from the dead as the Son of God, and so that we can have relationship with him, and because Jesus is for you. These are the truths. This is the gospel that you need to preach to yourself each and every day. Amen. Jesus is calling you and me to believe and to act like a child of his, to act like an heir with Jesus Christ. Sad, but true. The people of Nazareth wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. God himself came and preached a sermon and the people would not respond to the invitation. Can you believe it? Now, when my kids were little, sorry about this, Liz. (laughs) When my kids were little, I used to say that if I should meet an untimely death, this is what I want you to put on my tombstone. All he ever wanted was for them to eat over their plates, and they wouldn't do it. Amen to that. They wouldn't do it. That's one small thing. God himself is preaching a sermon here. Verse 22 seems like there was a great response that they thought his words were gracious. But when you put the same account from Matthew and Mark together with Luke, you understand why Jesus rebuked them in verses 23 to 27. We have one question here in the Gospel of Luke, but they also ask, isn't this Joseph's son? Uh, Isn't this the carpenter? Uh, Isn't this Mary's son? Uh, Isn't this the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Isn't this the brother whose sisters are here? But, But isn't this, isn't this? And if all of that is true, then can he really be the Messiah? And Mark says in his gospel, and they took offense. They took offense. So, That leads us into our second point. Jesus rebukes them for their unbelief. Jesus rebukes us for our unbelief. Look at verses 23 to 27. And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. 
But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. They also ask, if he's our Messiah, why hasn't he done anything for us? Christ's words in 23 through 27 reveal where their unbelieving hearts were. Because he speaks about the gospel being presented in the Old Testament. And what are the two examples that he gives? The gospel coming to two individuals, two Gentiles the widow of Zarephath and Naaman. The point is a rebuke to his hometown for their long-standing unbelief. They wanted proof of Christ's authority. They wanted the signs that Capernaum had seen. And what Christ responded to them with is one of the most precious truths that we have. The gospel is for everyone who believes. The gospel is for everyone who believes. There's no claim upon the gospel by a, a, by a people group or a person or an ilk. God bestows blessings. God bestows the gifts of grace, his own grace. And he does this freely to anyone who believes. Amen. Instead of receiving Christ for who he was, for who he is, as God, as Messiah, as in authority, as present with them, as greater than them, as caring, they wanted to own him for themselves. Nazareth received Christ. All right. They received him in unbelief and in downright arrogance. However, I need to turn this to our own hearts. To the degree that Christ is not God and in control in your life, not Messiah, not in authority, not present with you, not greater than you, Almighty, not caring for you, to that same degree, you are receiving Christ in unbelief and arrogance. Ever prayed to Christ, why me, Lord? I deserve better than this from you. To try to do the things that Christ is supposed to be doing in our lives. That Christ is supposed to be doing for you. Is living in unbelief and arrogance. And negates the presence of the living God in your life. We need to stop trying to solve our own problems with our own wisdom. We need to stop providing for intimacy outside of our relationships. We need to stop overcoming loneliness by ourselves. Think about that. Overcome loneliness by ourselves. We need to stop soothing ourselves through outside means. And the list could go on and on and on. I think you get the point. It's no different than the people from Christ's hometown. Remember when Christ was entering Jerusalem 
on what we call Passion Week, on, what, on Palm Sunday, and he paused outside the city before the triumphal entry. And he shook his head, and he started crying. He wept for the city of Jerusalem and for its people. He said, it's too late. He said, how often I longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And Jesus was amazed. Mark's account says he was amazed for their lack of faith. Doesn't that make you sick? That here is Jesus at his hometown with his people, the people who had saw him grow up, the people that understood from that one Passover when he was 12, how he was amazing the elders in the temple. He wanted to be close to his father. There's one other time in the Bible where Jesus was amazed, and it's a few chapters later in the Gospel of Luke. It's a story about a Roman centurion who has a sick servant, and he comes to Jesus, and Jesus is about to go with him, and, and the centurion says, I'm not worthy to have the Christ in my house, but you just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said that he was amazed. He marveled at that great faith. You know, no matter how you look at it, Jesus is amazed by you. He is shaking his head. You're amazing. Either for your belief or for your unbelief. Again, Christian, I'm not talking about your salvation here. I'm talking about how you are living your life each and every day. The choice is yours how you will amaze Jesus. Because it's clear that the gospel demands a response. And that's our final point today. The gospel demands a response. Listen to verses 28 and following. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And he stood up, they rose up, and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him off a cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Okay, Nazareth arrogantly declared their unbelief and actually tried to kill Jesus. As it was then, it is still today. There are only two responses to Christ. There are only two responses to the gospel. Believe and live with the abiding Christ and all of his resources that he offers to you. Having them all at your disposal. John calls this the abundant life. Or you can live in unbelief with yourself and in your own strength. And for anyone here who's had a season where they lived in unbelief, where they lived in their own strength, you know how exhausting it is. There's nothing abundant about it. And it isn't, a, isn't it about time that we... Isn't it about time 
that New Hope Christian Fellowship. Isn't it about time that you said, we want to see Jesus? We want to see Jesus and declare in our lives and in this fellowship here in Marietta, I believe that Jesus truly is the God, that he truly is the Messiah, and that he's able, he's fully capable of saving me for eternity and in the present day and in my circumstances. I believe that he has authority over my life, that he is present with us and with me. I believe that he is greater than us, and yet he stoops to us because he truly does care for us. I believe he truly cares for us. And after we make those declarations, we need to embrace him as such, as Lord, as Savior, as our strength, as our guide, as our repository for all our cares, all our burdens, all our problems. You fill in the blank. Lay him on Christ. There's no time like today for Christ to come home and find room and acceptance and belief in your heart, in your life, in your family, in your job, in your problems, in your circumstances, in your whatever, through unbelief. Nazareth rejected Christ. And the scriptures tell us he did very little there. Today, Christ rebukes those area of your areas of your life where you are acting like an orphan and he calls you to believe so that much can be accomplished in your life and for the kingdom amen let's pray father god we do declare today that you are Lord and Savior. 